This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hello and welcome to Savor, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about Guinness. Yes, because if you're listening to this as it comes out, and potentially in other years, depending on how the timing plays, Uh it is St. Patrick's Day. It is. And Guinness is an Irish brand. So Mm -hmm. we thought, hey, we've danced around the topic of this brand for a while. Why not? Why not do an episode? Why not do an episode? And there is a lot going on with Guinness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As it turns out, um, I'm, I'm just thinking of all of the times that we have such difficulty finding especially historical material on any given topic. And as it turns out, it really only requires like a brand that is really invested in telling people all about itself as part of its marketing yes. to just have a treasure trove of information an absolute treasure trove. <laughs> oh, man. Like, too much almost. But, okay, drink responsibly, as always, with these episodes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I did want to. I know I've shared it before, but uh, I I had what in my mind was a very disastrous pouring experience, but it was fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, why did you think it was? Dis- okay, go, go ahead and tell the story. Okay, so... I know I've talked about it before, but I did visit the Guinness Brewery slash Museum uh, I think in 2017, and I was actually looking at pictures before this, and they filled me with such nostalgia Aww. and desire to travel. But mm-hmm. it, I, I mean, it was truly amazing. It was an amazing experience. My mind was absolutely blown. I think the show, it might have been 2016. I think we were fairly new-ish, so I wasn't really comfortable with reaching out to brands, like sure. big brands like that. But I remember being there and thinking, oh, I want to talk to somebody about uh-huh. this. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, there, there was just a lot there. I think it's six floors. It's five or six floors. Um, at one point, you enter this this solid white room that feels like you've entered a sci-fi movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> and this impeccably dressed dude appeared, uh, at least in my case, it was a dude, appeared out of a door in the wall that you couldn't even see. <laughs> and there was fog in this room, Lauren. <laughs> and offered you beer on this like oh silver goodness. tray. And oh. you're just... 
you take it and are like, sure. <laughs> um, but yes, they they teach you, and I know we're going to go into this in detail. They teach you how to do the proper pour, the perfect pour of a Guinness, which is a six-step pour that, when successfully done, takes 119.5 seconds, which <laughs> makes me laugh. Uh-huh. I love it. Uh-huh. Um, and if you, well, I, I assume you, they give you the certificate no matter what. <laughs> but... Um, I was so nervous. I'm taking notes, like, of all the steps that I'm watching, like, feverishly. Everyone, they were like, who wants to go first? And I took a step back. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) And it was fine. It worked out fine. But I was shaking. Oh, no. Did you get to drink the beer? I still have the certificate. It's all okay. (laughs) I I understand. It was a high-pressure situation, but uh, that wasn't even intended to be a pun. But uh, but you you pulled through, which also wasn't intended to be a pun. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry. This is so good already. Well, (laughs) puns aplenty. Uh, And the marketing floor was amazing. They really went over the top on that floor. And and their ads, in large part, have been very successful. We're going to talk about some of them. Um, I bought this shirt that says, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bike, because I just thought, (laughs) this is strange and I want it. Yeah. Uh, And that is a past ad campaign. Mm -hmm. I also want to put in here, because I'd never heard this, but I told my co-host over on Stuff I Never Told You that we were doing this episode, and the first thing she told me was, rats, find out if the rat story is true. It's not true. I didn't look into it too in depth, but it's a myth. (laughs) That there were rats in the beer at one time. Oh. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I'm glad that that was a myth. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I'll say about that. Um, we have done past episodes on beer. We've done stouts and porters. We've done IPAs. We've done sour beers. We've done Martinson. I think that's it. That maybe sounds like it. <laughs> we've done a lot of episodes. Yeah. As we've discussed. Mm-hmm. Yes, so those exist um, if you would like to listen to them. But in the meantime, I guess we should get to our question. I suppose so. Guinness. What is it? Well, uh, Guinness is a brand of beer that makes a number of brews, but is perhaps most famous for their stouts, uh, which are a category of beers known for their uh, dark coloration and roasty, toasty flavors, thanks to the uh, heavily roasted grains used in making them. Um, in this case, the grain uh, in question is is malted barley. And Guinness's current lineup available in the United States includes a uh, draft stout, which is poured, yes, from a specialized tap that incorporates both carbon dioxide and nitrogen bubbles uh, into the beer for a creamy mouthfeel. An extra stout, which is a higher uh, ABV, higher alcohol by volume, um, a little bit drier on the palate. A foreign extra stout, which is an even higher ABV, and a little bit more bitter, um, and a blonde lager, which is a lighter, a little hoppier. There's also a smooth, which is bottled uh, with nitrogen for that for that creamy mouthfeel. A nitro IPA, which is what it says on the box. Yes, IPA with nitrogen involved for a creamy IPA experience. Um, a special export, which is uh, sweeter and the strongest uh, alcohol by volume. And a black lager, which is crisper and a little bit lighter. So yeah, let's talk about this perfect pour. Okay. Yes. And that whole nitrogen thing. Because most beers contain carbon dioxide to give them fizz. Uh, plus, you know, it's a, it's a natural result of fermentation. Um, but you can also add nitrogen, which creates tiny bubbles, like one-tenth of the size of carbon dioxide's like like big snappy bubbles. Nitrogen is also less soluble than carbon dioxide. So instead of like a continuing fizz, you get a, a, a rush of escape and then a relatively flat beer. So when you pour this into a traditional pint glass, which is wider on the top than it is on the bottom, some complex fluid dynamics occur, forcing um, the, the, the bubbles in the glass to travel uh, down the sides of the glass and then rise up from the center to form that foamy head, um, which explains why it looks like they're, they're, they're sinking Although bubbles don't sink, they float. It's just fluid dynamics. They're just circulating. It's just fluid dynamics. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, uh, yes, yes, since the, uh, since the gas in the beer is that blend of CO2 and nitrogen, heavy on the nitrogen, you wind up with a relatively still glass of beer once the uh, bubbles have settled into that foam on top 
to maximize the effect here, you do need to help the nitrogen nucleate, which is why uh, nitro beers are poured from this uh, special type of tap faucet that will slow and agitate the pour. The Guinness tap contains 11 different nozzles to accomplish this. 11 nozzles? I know! All on the inside. I don't know. I don't know either. I'm getting <laughs> retroactively nervous again. <laughs> oh, no. oh. It came out fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and according to Imbibe magazine, uh, this is a fact that you pulled, Annie, for our uh, stout slash porter episode. Every second of every day, somewhere around the world, a bartender pours a Guinness using this method. Wow. One researcher who has looked deeply into how the the bubble fluid dynamic thing works, this researcher, uh, William Lee, he insists that this pour and that 119.5 seconds Uh is really more showmanship than, like, beverage necessary. And he says that you could cut down that time. You know, he's like, if you're waiting this long to get your beer, you don't need to. You could cut down that time with a differently shaped glass without sacrificing, like, bubble and foam quality. And he says that, and I quote, unfortunately, (laughs) the, uh, (laughs) the best shaped glass for encouraging fast bubble flow would be a giant martini glass. Oh, my gosh. That would be hilarious. So glorious. Uh, (laughs) Just just spilling Guinness all over myself. That's what I envision. Oh, yeah. I mean, regular-sized martini glasses are so precarious already. I don't know why anyone would ever hand me one. But, right, an even larger one? Like, that is unwieldy. Yes. He does say that there has to be some kind of happy medium for um, something that isn't completely ludicrous that people would actually use and <laughs> like a quick settling Guinness right. glass. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe he would argue that a pour that takes 119.5 seconds <laughs> is showmanship in any way. But- doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> I, I, you know, I we we should check we should check his references. Um. Yes. <laughs> Show us your sources. <laughs> <laughs> we need to see your data. <laughs> so, so, uh, so yes, Guinness, um, partially through marketing, yes, became famous for this perfect pour. But what if you want to enjoy a similarly uh, silky pint of Guinness from a can? Or a bottle. What do I do? Uh, you put a widget in it. What? <laughs> well, you you don't put a widget in it. Like the makers of Guinness put a widget in it. Oh, okay, so um, uh, Guinness Draft um, and Guinness Smooth cans and bottles contain um, both a pressurized carbon dioxide and nitrogen, and also a little plastic widget, which is which is a device where I couldn't quite suss out if it contains more extra pressurized nitrogen or if that's just where the nitrogen collects when you put it into the into the can or bottle. Either way, um, uh, when you open your uh, receptacle, it also cracks open or like activates the widget, which then releases that nitrogen in these fine bubbles that, that essentially whip some of the beer into a foam. Um, and it's a slow release kind of thing, so so the can or the bottle will maintain a foamy head for the entire time that you're drinking it. These brews may also contain some extra foaming agents to like help out a little bit, but mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, mostly the widget. The widget. I have faith in the widget. I, I a couple of years ago I I had one of these and I didn't realize it had a widget in it and I didn't like read. You know, the beer, because I'm sure it explains yeah. it on there. But I was like, what the hell is this Why beer? is my can rattling? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about the nutrition? Oh, drink responsibly. Um, beyond that, uh, Guinness Draft, d- despite being dark in the glass and having this, you know, full creamy mouthfeel is lower in alcohol content and in calories than a lot of other beers. Um, it's, it's more like a light beer. It's somewhere in between like a light beer and a standard beer. 
It also contains uh, uh, more complex carbohydrates and soluble fiber than many other beers, plus a lot of B vitamins like folate. And despite the fact that that one of Guinness's like marketing slogans in the past has been like, it's good for you. It's uh-huh. it's alcohol. It's not great for you. I mean, like, <laughs> like in some cases, like one unit of alcohol per day can help decrease like stress levels and some cardiovascular kind of complications um, in the long run, but it's not a health food. (laughs) And one thing that Guinness would certainly want you to know is that beer is overall not good for lactation or for a baby during breastfeeding. That is like a long running myth that (laughs) anytime I've read a whole bunch of interviews with Guinness representatives, and anytime anyone brings that up, they're like, ha ha, no, don't do that, please. Who those wacky myths, that's, no. <laughs> like, they, <laughs> I'm trying to be nice about it, but clearly very nervous, and I'm like, oh, buddies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yep. Not good. Yeah. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a lot of Guinness numbers. Oh my goodness, out there. there are. Yes. Guinness uh passed from father to son for five generations in a row. And uh, as you said, Lauren, they have kept pretty good records as a company. Mm-hmm. So we will be going through through those five men, I think, and some of the things they did. And uh Guinness is one of the world's most recognizable beer brands. And it is very closely associated with Ireland, though more people drink it in Nigeria, where some believe it is the national beer, and we're going to have more on that throughout. Yeah, yeah. Why that is. Um, It's sold in 120 countries and brewed in 50 countries. According to the Guinness website, 10 million glasses are enjoyed a day. Uh, And the brewery goes through 100,000 tons of barley a year. The brewery itself, yes, is one of Ireland's largest tourist attractions. According to Thrillist, 13 million pints are consumed on St. Patrick's Day alone. Oof. Well. Oof, indeed. Yes, well. <laughs> um, <laughs> Guinness is really popular in Africa. Um, the company that owns Guinness, well, well, owns it everywhere, um, Diageo, accounts for about 90% of the beer market there, along with three other companies, 45% of Diageo's African beer sales are Guinness. Most of these sales are of foreign extra stout. And yes, more on that later. Africa made up 35% of global Guinness sales in 2004, more than the UK and Ireland. Um, Africa took Ireland's place of as the second largest market in 2007, behind only the UK. Sales continue to grow at an annual rate of around 13%. And 13 breweries produce Guinness on that continent. Yes. This I had no idea about. I find it so interesting. Yeah, I think I talked about this in the Stouts or, or Porter, <laughs> Stouts or Porters, the Stouts and Porters episode, where I always had this association of, with Guinness as being this really heavy, like, filling. And I, I thought it had a lot more alcohol in it, which probably says a lot about <laughs> some stereotypes I've absorbed <laughs> over the years. Huh. But uh, like yeah. like a much heavier beer than it actually is. Every time I enjoy one, I'm almost pleasantly surprised by like how smooth it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because of that, I don't think of it as a beer you would drink in like traditionally hot places like Africa, um, or at least in some of these countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly Africa is not a climatic uh, monolith. Right, exactly. But, yes. <laughs> yes. But yeah, it's it's not what I would go to first for a, for a warm weather beer. I agree with yes, you. Yes, absolutely. And okay, the Guinness Book of World Records is sold in 100 countries, available in 23 languages, with 130 million copies sold. And my, my little brother used to be really big into these, and he would get these. <laughs> Oh, yeah? yeah? Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, and he would, like, rattle off these records in the middle of conversations. He'd be like, how did you know this? Why do you know this? <laughs> um, and just a note here, we've discussed it before, but Guinness, it does consistently, they do consistently knock it out of the park with marketing campaigns, which is what this book started out as. Yeah. Yeah, and we're also going to talk about that more in the history section, which we should get into. We should, but first we should get into a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. 
Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So... As we said at the top, you can go see our beer episodes for more in-depth history on specific types of beers. Yes, yes. But today, we're focusing on Guinness, particularly, and that, that's plenty. <laughs> oh, goodness. It's certainly more more than plenty. Yeah, uh, uh, check out sour beers for, um, for a kind of uh, large-scale uh, overview right. of the history of beer. And then, yeah, the Stouts and Porters episode for kind of like how this style of beer came to be. Yes. But— but, all right, and yes, disclaimer, a lot of this information does come from the Guinness website. It seems that they have kept really good records over the years, but yes, uh, just a caveat that companies are interested in presenting themselves in the best light. Yes, so, yes. yes. Grain, grains, of, grains of salt. Grains of salt. Uh, Guinness Brewery was founded in Dublin, Ireland in 1759 by Arthur Guinness. So Guinness was born in 1725 in Selbridge, Ireland. He most likely learned how to brew from his father, who was the land steward to an archbishop, and it was a part of the land steward's job to provide beer. Okay, sure. Yes, to the people on the property. Arthur's father left him 100 pounds after his death, which allowed Arthur to run a small brewery. He moved to Dublin at the age of 34, leaving the brewery to his younger brother. And it was a tough time for Irish brewers. Uh, their, their beer was taxed more highly than English beer. But Arthur wanted in. He signed a 9,000-year lease for four acres at an old falling-apart <laughs> brewery at St. James's Gate, where it is still brewed to this day. I feel like that's the biggest piece of Guinness, like, legend. I mean, it's true, but this is, like, the thing. Yeah, well, it's just such a show-stopping number, like a like a nine thousand year lease. Like that's yeah, that's adorable. <laughs> yeah. And the rate he secured for this lease was forty five pounds a year after an initial payment of one hundred pounds, and the property came with its own water supply. Which is so critical for brewing. Yes, yes. Um, within a decade, he was exporting uh, his beer to England. Guinness entered his name in 1759 as a new brewer of the Dublin Brewers and Malsters Corporation, which I love. Malsters is not a word I knew. <laughs> mm-hmm. He rose to master of the corporation in eight years. According to more Guinness lore... 
1775, the local authorities in Dublin sent a group of men led by the sheriff to turn off Guinness's free water supply <laughs> in order to force him to pay for water. Guinness wielded a pickaxe at them, quote, with very much improper language that they should not proceed. And they didn't. <laughs> and he kept his free water supply. <laughs> Very much improper language. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Okay. Wield a pickaxe. Um, (laughs) Arthur married an heiress, Olivia Whitmore, and they had 21 children. Ten of them made it to adulthood. Um, Yeah. He was involved in the community and he was the brewer for Ireland's seat of government, Dublin Castle. At first, he brewed primarily ale, but in the 1770s, he started brewing porters which had recently been invented. Um, The porter he ended up with was a hit. So much so that he stopped making lagers altogether to focus entirely on the porter in 1799. And he brewed a few different types of porters for various tastes. One of these that Guinness developed was specifically designed for export. In 1803, Arthur Guinness II took control of the brewery after his father died that same year. By the 1830s, Guinness was the largest brewery in Ireland, and Guinness II had gradually been increasing export markets as a part of this, um, starting with the UK, then to parts of the British Empire, including the British colony of Sierra Leone. The beer they exported to this colony arrived in West Africa in 1827 after being brewed in Dublin in 1801, which blows my mind. Blows my mind. <laughs> At the time, it was called the West Indies Porter. Guinness expanded to South Africa in the 1860s, often forming relationships with the local breweries that bottled the beer in these places. Um, many of these relationships remained even after the British Empire crumbled. The first shipment of Guinness arrived in the U.S. in 1817, eight barrels worth to a man in South Carolina named Mr. Heavy, who might have owned a pub. <laughs> Or maybe (laughs) re-bottled and sold them, or maybe just wanted them. It's unclear. It's unclear. At this time, it was also being shipped to places like Portugal and Barbados. Arthur also oversaw the development of a new recipe for a stronger porter for the British market called Extra Superior Stout, nowadays known as Guinness Extra Stout or Guinness Original. Benjamin Lee Guinness took over the brewery for his father in the 1850s. He was also Lord Mayor of Dublin in 1851. In 1862, the first trademarked logo for the Guinness Stout debuted, and many of the elements introduced in this trademark still exist in the logo today, like the harp device and Arthur Guinness's signature. When Benjamin died in 1868, the business passed to his son, Edward Cecil, or Cecil uh, Guinness, it was during this his time that the brewery became the world's largest and first major brewery to be incorporated. And it had grown since its inception, like from four acres to 60 acres, Ooh. complete with a railway and dedicated fire brigade. It's often described as its own town. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As the 19th century came to an end, 1.2 million barrels of Guinness Stout were being sold a year. And of note... That original lease was voided when the company purchased the property and expanded their operations onto more land. Oh, okay. Which okay. makes sense, but I only really found it in one source. So, hmm. I mean, to me, yeah, they would have had to. <laughs> it seems like that would follow logically, yeah, but... Yeah, but that 9,000 numbers, as you said, so show-stopping, it's... It's such a good marketing I know, I know. Uh. (laughs) Um, And I love this. In the 1890s, Guinness hired these these men to travel around the world and investigate markets where Guinness was being sold, take notes about it, and report back so they could monitor how things were going (laughs) Guinness-wide in other countries. So I I love that. (laughs) Wow. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 1893, Guinness hired their first uh, trained scientist brewer, one Thomas Bennett Case. And Case started investigating uh, qualities of the beer's ingredients to attempt to um, optimize the brewing process and the product. In 1901, Guinness created a laboratory in order to use science to improve their products. Science and math 
Yes, um, it was with help from um, statistician William Seeley Gossett that researchers like Case were able to um, apply some like large sample methods to the small sample sizes that they were working with at the brewery. And fun aside here, Guinness didn't want rival brewers to know about their scientific breakthroughs, so they didn't let their researchers publish any findings under their real names until the late 1930s. Uh, like the, the statistical model that Gossett designed for all of this, the t-test, which essentially allows you to define and factor in your, your uncertainty in your experiment, would go on to be used in all kinds of fields all over the world up, up through this day. Though the pseudonym that it was first published under stuck, students, t-test. Any, <laughs> any fellow humans who have read a lot of mathy papers, yep, it's, <laughs> you can thank Guinness for that one. <laughs> you could thank Guinness. I love that. <laughs> um, when Edward died in 1927, his son Rupert took over. Uh, the first advertising campaign launched in 1929 after the company tapped the S.H. Benson Limited Company, which was uh, a relationship that lasted for four decades. John Gilroy was the artist from this agency behind early successful campaigns like Guinness for Strength and My Goodness, My Guinness. Yeah, yeah, like the, the toucan, all of those kind of yeah. iconic Guinness images. Um, and supposedly all the ads about how good Guinness is for you came from market research, kind of along the lines of what you were talking about, where they would just send people out all over the world to, like, see what Guinness drinkers were up to. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the, the ad men sent reps out to bars to ask people why they were drinking Guinness. And apparently some 9 out of 10 said it's because they thought it was healthy. So, like, the campaign basically wrote itself. Whoa! <laughs> okay, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't, we could do an entire episode just like reporting gleefully on Guinness advertising and marketing, but uh, I couldn't resist putting in one ad from 1931 that has a lobster poem. Oh, yes. So, so the illustration in this ad is a, is a lobster wearing a white bow tie and carrying white gloves that are five finger gloves, which I'm very confused about. Maybe he murdered someone. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, you went you went dark. Okay. Straight to murder. <laughs> Straight to murder. Gosh. Um, so he's carrying possibly his murder victims, white five-fingered <laughs> gloves, and, and and the lobster in his other claw is is holding a hand mirror in which he is gazing at himself. And I'm gendering the lobster. I don't know this lobster's gender. I don't know that about about it. Um anyway, um the poem reads. "'Tis the voice of the lobster, I heard him declare, I am ready for dinner if Guinness is there. As a duck demands peas, so a lobster appeals for Guinness at dinner and other such meals. It brings out the flavor, the epicures say, and who should know more about flavor than they? A lobster's a good thing, but do not forget a lobster with Guinness is 20 times better." <laughs> That was good, Lauren. You <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. I think I think what made me need to include this one was when I realized that they rhymed forget uh with yes. better. Yes. And I was like, well, that's it. That's yeah. in the show. Uh, yeah. And I would assume, you know, memories of your time when you dressed up as a lobster, which I would bring <laughs> up at any opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> I, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. That had something to do with it for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, I posted that one on Facebook and maybe Twitter, I think. I don't think I've posted it on Instagram yet. I'll, I'll get around to that. Yes. It's, it's all happening. Yes, you should. <laughs> um, and then after I saw you put this in the outline, I went back to my, my pictures from my tour of the, the brewery and I found on the marketing floor, there's a picture of a lobster precariously holding <laughs> A Guinness, a pint of Guinness with his, like, antennae wrapped around it lovingly. Uh-huh. And it says, pure shellfishness. <laughs> and quite a delightful italicized font. Yeah. Um, and then it says, there's nothing like a Guinness with lobster. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of ads from around the 30s to the 50s, I guess, um, really were all in on, on Guinness with seafood. 
like like shellfish in yeah. particular, right. um, oysters. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Which I've never had. I know. <laughs> now I feel like I need that. <laughs> okay. According to Mental Floss, Guinness offered their employees on-site medical and dental care and two free pints per shift in <laughs> 1928. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the company opened a brewery in London in 1936. And during World War One and World War II, many Guinness employees went to war. This is kind of a complex. I, I was reading in more into this earlier. <laughs> it's kind of complicated, but for a food show, we're going to simplify it a bit. Okay. Um, while beer was discouraged for soldiers during World War One, it was encouraged during World War II as a morale booster. Um, Guinness promised to get every British soldier in the British Expeditionary Force in France a beer for Christmas Day at 1939 during World War II, uh, but realized they didn't have enough employees to fulfill this promise because, again, they had gone to war. Yeah, yeah. Retired employees came back into work to help make it happen, um, and keeping soldiers supplied with Guinness also involved the British exchanging things like wheat and coal for Guinness. Again, it was kind of a complex, like, wow. England and Ireland because England was mad that Ireland was neutral. And oh, so they sure. like, cut off a bunch of that stuff. But then Ireland was like, but you want the Guinness, so right? <laughs> and they were like, damn it. <laughs> Again, very much simplifying things for a food show, but that, that was kind of what was going on there. Oh, wow. Now I want to do... Uh, yeah. Let's, let, let, let's, like, go on Ridiculous History. And... There's, there's, like, Churchill quotes about, like, getting Guinness and, oh, like, wow. having to make these compromises. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yes. Ah, great. Later day, different podcast. Uh-huh. From 1936 to 1954, Guinness was brewed in New York City. And this brewery was constructed to bottle and distribute their best-selling beer in the U.S., which was the Guinness Extra Stout, which was also the best-seller in Ireland. Um, and it had been since the mid-1800s. That changed with the introduction of the Guinness Draft in 1959, which we'll talk about more in a moment. Mm -hmm. um, however, this brewery closed not too long after opening for a variety of reasons. Um, the taste of the American consumer had changed in favor of lagers. Breweries were consolidating. I feel like we talked about that in one of our past brewery episodes, too. Because of prohibition, a lot of things to survive, yeah. a lot of breweries had to come together here in the U.S. Yeah, I think, oh gosh, um, uh, probably in the uh, Martzen episode. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm still saying it wrong. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> And a little bit in the sour beer episode, because, right, um, uh, during Prohibition, a lot of breweries shuttered um, mm -hmm. and uh, different beer styles that they were making never came back. And also there had been a, a large influx of German immigrants into the United States in a few decades prior. And they had been bringing all of these glorious lager styles mm -hmm. um, that people were pretty into. So, yes, 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 yes. Um, Meanwhile, Guinness formed a new company to distribute, bottle, and market Guinness for overseas markets in 1851. I believe they were also involved in, like, marketing and research, uh, stuff like that. And then uh, the first edition of the Guinness Book of Records was published in the UK in 1959. Of course, nowadays, the annual publication is known as, the Guinness, World, as Guinness World Records. And, yes, you've probably heard these records have been the source of some controversy. Mm-hmm. Again, different show. Uh, but... Hmm. Story goes, the idea for this came after a hunting trip in 1951. And the then managing director of the Guinness Brewery, Sir Hugh Beaver, after he missed a shot at a golden plover, this spurred all these questions amongst the, hun the hunting party <laughs> around whether it was the fastest game bird, which to me sounds like he was just trying to cover up that he missed a shot. But okay. I agree. <laughs> I don't know enough about the plover. <laughs> Of course I missed the shot. It's the fastest bird. It's clearly not the fastest bird. You just missed the, it's the fastest bird. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Well, they did try to, they tried to look up the answer to settle this beef, but they couldn't find it. So Beaver got the idea of producing a, a records book to settle friendly disputes like this. To do this, he hired the founders of this agency out of London that provided statistics and facts to newspapers owned by brothers Norris and Ross McWhirter. At first, um, the book was handed out for free at pubs, but the popularity was such that the company started selling these books, and they became bestsellers. Mm -hmm. An American version came out in 1956, and versions in other countries published in the following years. The McWhirters went record hunting. They, they traveled the world to research and verify records. Um, 
Roth worked on the book until his untimely death in 1975, and his brother kept at it until 1986. That also sounds like a fun job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Traveling, looking around for records. Then, in 1959, Guinness introduced Guinness Draft, which involved using a mixed gas dispensing system to dispense liquid under pressure, giving it that creamy head. The brewery updated their equipment around this time, too, replacing wood and iron with aluminum and stainless steel for easier quality control. It was easier to produce a consistent product. Mm -hmm. Two years after the people of Lagos overthrew British colonial rule in 1960, a Guinness brewery opened in that country, which was the first outside the British Isles, minus the U.S. one that closed in 1954 that I mentioned earlier. Seems Mm -hmm. a lot of people, Mm -hmm. like, leave that one out of this whole thing, but... Um, (laughs) Cameroon followed suit in 1970, opening their own Guinness Brewery. Brewers in Africa typically used sorghum or maize instead of barley because that's what was available, resulting in a beer that is, yes, a bit more bitter. And the alcohol content was higher than that of Guinness Extra Stout at 7.5%, left over from the days it had to make that long overseas journey. A 1968 West African advertisement claimed... Guinness is good for you. You can feel your glass of Guinness doing you good. Guinness Stout is a really fine drink. Guinness gives you power. (laughs) It's an exclamation point I tried to capture. (laughs) Um, And yeah, this ad campaign painted Guinness as this manly man's drink for men to drink at the end of the day after tough manual labor. You can still see around. You can still see elements of that around in their Mm -hmm. ads. Beginning in the 1960s, Guinness began offering concentrated essence, or Guinness extract, I heard it described as, uh, to breweries overseas to help mimic the flavor of Guinness. In 1966, Rupert Guinness opened uh, the Brewery Museum at St. James Gate. Um, It's still operating today as, yes, the the Guinness storehouse and is, in fact, the, the museum that you would have visited on your travels there. Yes, um, Benjamin Guinness took over for his grandfather in 1962, which is a position he held until 1986. He was the last Guinness family member to hold it. And in 1964, the brewery launched a new R&D facility. This helped them launch Guinness Draft in a Can in 1988, thanks to those widgets. Mm-hmm. Uh, also in 1988, the company hired a professional archivist and created the Guinness Archive to collect and preserve and share all things historically Guinness-related. Um, under normal circumstances, I, I think the center might be closed right now, but uh, but you can you can book appointments to explore the archives. And it includes, uh, just for one example, such things as the personnel files from over 20,000 employees who have worked for the company from the 1880s on. Wow. <laughs> See, this is what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. It's like yeah. a, a huge breadth and depth of information. Yeah, like that, uh, the South Carolina first shipment of Guinness to the U.S. Like there was a picture of the signature from Mr. Yeah. Evy with that. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> um, oh, I also love this too. In the 1980s, the Irish government attempted to register a harp facing in either direction as a state symbol, but they were concerned that Guinness would challenge them over this. So they decided, they consulted like lawyers and decided to only register the left-facing harp. Uh, The one in the Guinness logo faces right. They sort of conceded. You you get that one. Okay. Okay. we get the other side. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's some power. I know, right? Uh, Guinness became ISO 14001 accredited, the International Environmental Management Standard, in 1996. Um, They were the first brewery to achieve this. The next year, the company merged with Grand Metropolitan, a merger valued at 24 million pounds. And they named the resulting company Diageo, from the Latin word for day, dia, and the Greek word for world, geo, to acknowledge that all over the world, every day, people enjoy their products. Aww. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This was news to me. In 2003, Guinness revived that Guinness Gives You Power campaign in Africa, even releasing a film called Critical Assessment in Africa and the UK, featuring a character they created for the campaign, Michael Power. 
Before this, uh, he'd been featured in numerous television and radio shows. And at the end of these episodes, after he triumphed over whatever evil, hmm. he'd always say, Guinness brings out the power in you. <laughs> Michael Power, the character, was retired in 2006. But Guinness still uses, yeah, these similar themes in their ads today. Huh. To celebrate the 250th anniversary of Arthur Guinness signing the lease, Guinness promised that people could enjoy Guinness as never before, underwater. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. They commissioned a submarine bar so people could drink Guinness uh. while submerged. <laughs> okay, sure. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Brewhouse 4 opened in Dublin in 2014. It's the largest stout brewery in the world. In 2017, Guinness opened a brewery in Baltimore, Maryland, Open Gate Brewery and Barrel House. However, they announced they would not be brewing their famous stout there. Yeah, yeah. We finally get a Guinness brewery in the States, and they're like, not the stout, though. (laughs) At the time, they were focusing on the brand's uh, blonde lager. I think that they had been burned a little bit too hard by the... (laughs) unsuccess of their stout the first time through. Um, And 2017 was the 200th anniversary of Guinness Stout being first shipped to the United States. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And apparently, again, under normal circumstances, there's room for some like 4,000 people to hang out and party there. Whoa. Yeah. They've got a whole like like, like music lawn and stuff. Oh, yeah. Isn't it shaped like the... It's shaped like a Guinness glass. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, of course. Obviously, why am I even asking? Um, that same year, Guinness switched filtration systems to no longer use fish bladders in this process so that vegetarians and vegans could enjoy their beers should they so choose. Okay. I really had to look into this. So science aside uh, about why someone would use fish bladder <laughs> yes. in the making of beer. So... A lot of the beers that we drink these days are filtered. Um, And you might have had an unfiltered beer. Uh, It'll look cloudy and like semi-opaque in the glass. Um, And that comes from yeast remnants and and grain proteins in the beer. Uh, So so when you make beer, you're you're convincing yeast to eat the sugars in grains and poop alcohol and flavor, right? Um, and, And proteins are also released in this process from those grains. And there are a number of methods for getting the proteins and the remnants of those yeasts out during the production process. And one of them is is physically filtering the beer in some way. And one of the traditional filtration substances, uh, filtration substances being known in the industry as finings, one of those is called isinglass. And isinglass is basically just collagen that's been derived from the swim bladders of certain species of fish. So it's not like their urinary bladder. It, it's the organ that helps them control their depth in the water, right. you know? Mm-hmm. So basically, you take a fish, take a, take out the, the swim bladder, clean it and dry it, and then um, break it down using mild acids to release the collagen that it contains. And this is effective as a filtration agent because the, those, those haze-causing molecules in beer are negatively charged. And so, like two negatively charged magnet ends, they'll push away from each other and suspend themselves, thus, evenly, throughout the beer. Isinglass molecules carry a positive charge, so they neutralize those hazy molecules, and and the yeasts and proteins will then clump up and sink, making them easy to remove. Um, If you've ever used gelatin to clarify a broth into a consomme, same principle. These days, most breweries do not use isinglass, um, you know, stuff like centrifuges um, and filtration devices that are, you know, like not made from the swim bladders of fish <laughs> are preferred. Um, <laughs> though, if all of this is news to you um, and you happen to keep a diet that precludes fish elements, do check online for, for beers that are made without it. It was news to me. I read that and I think I did a double take. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I ran across this one really great headline. I think it was in USA Today that was like, that was like, there's been fish bladder in your beer all along. And I got the <laughs> Agatha all along song stuck in my head. And like, it was a really fun, really fun trip. So Isinglass sounds like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it definitely does. <laughs> <laughs> But nope, fish bladder. <laughs> fish bladder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very fancy name for fish bladder. I like it. <laughs> well, that has been quite the journey. 
a lot has happened in this episode. Yeah, we covered <laughs> we covered a lot of ground. We did. As does Guinness. Makes sense. It does. Yes. It does. Oh, and it made me really crave a Guinness. I don't it's not I a know. beer that I particularly crave that often cuz it's sort of mild tasting and I like kind of punch you in the face beers, but um <laughs> But yeah, yeah, just reading about it, I'm just like, oh, I really want to, I really want to go get some Guinness. Me too. I'm going to try to make it happen. <laughs> I have faith in you. I think Thank you can you. do it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll report back on that one. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, that's what we have to say about Guinness for now. It is. We do have some listener mail for you. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with the Snowball. Celebratory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, we have two emails about Morel Mushrooms Day. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so we actually got a lot, and I'm looking forward to going over them in the next couple of episodes. Oh, this is great. Yeah. Uh, Jacob wrote, just wanted to write in about the Misik Morel Festival. It's pronounced Misik like Mr. Misik, who I don't know, but I'm assuming because you told me how to pronounce it that that's how you pronounce his name. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the obvious pronunciation, so even people here in Michigan get it wrong. The Blessing of the Jeeps is a big <laughs> annual event for Michigan Jeep owners of all stripes. Think of a car show where owners are encouraged to not just show off their cars, but all put them through their paces on obstacle courses and mud pits. And the key point of the meetup is the local priest offering a blessing over all the Jeeps for safety and fun adventures. <sighs> <laughs> Baldwin, Michigan also hosts an annual blessing of the bikes for bikers, although I don't know if they're connected at all. Morels are a very popular mushroom and often guarded secret. A lot of foragers are very hesitant to share the best foraging spots. Following syrup season, morel season is one of the great food seasons of the spring. Oh. Yes, there actually was a priest involved in the blessing of the Jeeps. I'm so happy. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you. Oh, heck. Yes. I, oh, uh, that's so good. 
Yes, yes. Uh, we we sent out the saber call. We put up the bat signal, the moral <laughs> mushroom signal, and uh, we have gotten we've gotten all the answers we knew we desired. Y'all have come through. Yes. Oh goodness, yeah. Uh, speaking of, Paul wrote, "Hi, Annie and Lauren. Just heard the moral episode, and I live just north of Mesick, Michigan. Um, pronounced Mesick or Mesick." It's a small town, and the Mushroom Festival is the biggest thing going each year. One of the many events is a mudding competition kicked off by the Blessing of the Jeeps that kicks off the off-road season up here, although in reality, people off-road all year round. Although the Mushroom Fest brings in much-needed annual revenue each year, it does come with a couple of issues. First is price gouging when selling to tourists. While caveat emptors should always hold true, they are sold by the pound, and you'll see vendors soaking them in water and leaving as much dirt on them as possible while charging up to $60 a pound or more. Second is the large number of downstaters coming up only to pick morels and then either selling them while they're up here using the aforementioned shady techniques or taking them back downstate to sell them down there. This is viewed by locals as basically natural resource robbery in an area that already deals with high numbers of residents living below the poverty line. There have been a few attempts at imposing legislation to restrict this activity, but a high percentage of the population is politically biased against regulation, and it would be extremely difficult to enforce due to the vast amounts of land and lack of enforcement resources. On a more positive note, it's a big deal up here every year, and people love to get out in the woods. Personally, I am horrible at it and have only found a few ever in the backyard and one in our front flower bed that I happened to spot while sitting on the front porch. One word of advice— Never, ever ask someone where their spot is. It's more taboo than asking where someone's favorite fishing spot is and may result in an argument or even a lost relationship. Oof. Wow. You don't want to lose your relationship because of moral taboo. No. (laughs) Sorry. No. This is Uh, very concerning. It is. It is. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. We don't want to make that mistake. Yeah, you've saved us from a possibly very major faux pas. Yes. No way do us professional food podcasters want to make a mushroom faux pas. Mm-mm. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I've loved hearing from listeners about how bad they are at finding morel mushrooms, too. That's Because uh, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be very good either. But I would be enthusiastic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, when we went on that lovely mushroom tour outside of Asheville, um, and like I couldn't locate mushrooms that our tour guide had planted for us. Yes. To be obvious. Yes. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. Well, that's why we got to get the professionals to come with us. <laughs> we, yes. yes. Clearly. Clearly. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can like blindfold us on the way in. It'll be okay. Yeah. But I am. I remember towards the end, I'd be like, is that one? And our, our professional forager friend would give me like the kindest smile and be like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've done it. Uh, <laughs> uh, thanks to both of those listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SaverPod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. 
Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.